we've been doing a series in Revelation, and this fine lineup of people, excluding Dan, who's not here this morning, has we've together been uh, been helping our community explore the first part of that book. Unfortunately, Dan can't be here this morning because Hudson and Henry aren't too well. So please remember the Saunders family in your prayers. In fact, I actually would like to pray before we start, and we'll pray for Dan. So maybe you could join me in in praying. Let's close our eyes. Father, thank you for this privilege that it is this opportunity to gather on a Sunday so freely in our city to worship you and to to practice community together and to encourage and support one another. And thank you for this day. I thank you that it is a day that you are present in, that you occupy. Pray that you would give us the eyes to see how you're at work in this day that lies before us. We just remember now, particularly Dan and, and Naomi and the kids, the, the sickness in the Saunders house. Thank you for Dan and how he serves this community and Naomi and how she serves this community. I pray a blessing over them. And I pray now just as we, um, in Dan's absence, um, help uh, explore some of these themes in the book of Revelation, um, that you would, Holy Spirit, have your way. You would speak to our hearts. Um, thank you for your scriptures. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you that you're here that you're eager to reveal yourself to us as a God of love. Pray you give us the receptivity to listen and to be open. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Awesome. So we've been, uh, we've been in this, this book over the last seven, eight weeks. We thought when we got together, it might be useful for you guys to know that myself and Stephanie and Ryan and also Dan actually get together um, these wonderful people give up an afternoon of their time every few months to gather in the study in the back room and we get together and we talk about the preaching series that are coming up and we do a little bit of planning and all of that. And so um, it's just a real joy to be able to do that alongside these two and Daniel as well. And um, uh, really as we all think really enjoy it and it's a privilege to do it. Um, as we were planning this series, we penciled in this little week at the end called Wrap Up and we just sort of didn't really fully know what we'd do but we thought we'd leave a space for something and uh, we thought this week it would be a good opportunity maybe just to carve out some space where we can maybe share um, each of us from our hearts but what God's been speaking to us about as we've preached this series, maybe what has come up in some of the themes and also our heart for this community as we look ahead to a new season of church life. So we're going to do that. Is that okay? Everyone on board with that? For hopefully it'll not be too long this morning. We'll, we'll have some, some more time to respond with worship and we'll be at the table as well before we leave today. So um, my iPad's playing up strangely. Um, this book, um, Revelation, I'm going to just quickly just set that up for a minute and then I'm going to um, ask these guys a little question or two, but this book, as I described a couple of weeks ago when I was preaching this book of Revelation, it's a bit like, you know those magic eight balls you get an Argos catalog when I was growing up? There was this magic eight ball that you could buy, and I always wanted one, and um, a friend had one, and I never had one, and um, I always just want to go around to his house just to get the magic eight ball and like ask it a question and shake it so hard and just wait and hope that it would give me the right answer to the question I was asking, and it sort of never did, and you sort of realized it was all a bit of a sham, but it was fun. Um, you just kept asking the question until you got the answer that it would give you. That was sort of like a metaphor that I used for, for the book of Revelation, that sometimes this book at the end of the scriptures 
has been used a little bit like that, where people have had a question that they want an answer to, they know the answer, and they just shake it and shake it until they get it to say what they want it to say. And um, the book has been a book that's been really misused over the years, um, particularly in the 19th and 20th century. Um, all sorts of weird and wonderful theories about the end times and how the world is gonna end up and the trajectory that that might set us on. All these conclusions have been made, all these details about, as I've been talking about, these geopolitical events, um, who's on the right side of history and who's on the wrong side of history, all deducted from this, this book. And yet this book really isn't trying to do any of that. As we've been talking about it, we've actually realized that this book is actually this glorious portrait of the person of Jesus Christ. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ, and it's a prophetic critique of every other system that would set itself up against the beautiful one, Jesus Christ. It's a sense of, it's, it's, a, it's a prophetic critique of, 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 of the way that this world has always tried to organize itself through the powerful, setting up empire, oppressing, and leading by domination. And in contrast to that, we have the, st the story of Jesus who comes in his weakness, goes to the cross, and gives us the example of self-sacrificial love as the way and not dominating power as the way. And that's, but this book is full of all this imagery and all these strange monsters and beasts and all this strange yeah, imagery, but it's all trying to tell this one story, this one idea that Jesus is Lord and everything else that attempts to be Lord uh, is not. Um, it's beastly in a sense. It's, 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 it's not the way of Jesus. And so um, at the very start of this book, as you know, I'm sort of recapping a wee bit here, you know that there are, it begins, there's three big sections to the whole book of Revelation. And we've only just done the first bit, which is the seven letters that are written to the church, seven churches in modern day Turkey, Asia Minor. And uh, so John the Revelator, the, this prophet, this potentially a bishop who was exiled to the island of Patmos, he had been, I suppose, preaching the gospel, the good news, the evangelion of Christ being the son of God. And it was a threat to the empire. And so he was exiled to Patmos and he had this incredible revelation um, where it was all this stuff was downloaded to him and he captured it in this book. And as I've said, theologians and leaders have tried to figure out what it really all means. But in a sense, um, it's attempting to try to help us as Christians. Um, well, it was trying to help the, the Christians that were living in each of the seven cities, the seven churches in the different cities live out their faith in light of the empire. How do you do that? How do you live out this Jesus way when it's so different to the way that the world does things, the way that the world lives? Um, but in those letters, I believe um, that there's also great wisdom for us today in 21st century to, to understand perhaps how we might continue to live in the way of Jesus in the 21st century. The Roman Empire is no more, um, but other empires have come and will continue to. And... Um, so it's good for us as a church here, as a community, to reflect upon this ancient book and these letters 
just to try to understand, to try to help, to try and encourage us, to try and frame things in a way that might help us be faithful to Jesus. And so that's what we've been doing. And so we carved up the seven letters among us. Um, and uh, I suppose I'd love to just kick off by asking one of you guys, then who wants to go first. Um, what is it that you personally have, have taken away from, from this series? We're going to move on in, later on to talk about maybe what, how this book has spoke speaks to us as a community, but I'd love to know, as you've been studying this book, what, what's come out for you personally? Maybe I'll start with you, Deb. Um, I suppose I became a follower of Jesus when I was about 11, which is over 40 years ago, so a long time on, on the road. And when I think about it, um, I probably was scared into the kingdom because I heard lots about end times and, and what was going to happen. And if I think back to that period of my life, um, I was very earnest and, uh, and panicked a lot about those that were going to be left behind. Larry Norman songs played in my head all the time about don't get left behind. And it became a very anxiety-informed faith. And uh, I held on to that for many years and felt like... And I remember teaching, maybe teaching is unfair information given about religious leaders, political leaders who had the mark of the beast on their forehead. Um, and, and that was a big feature of my teenage years. <laughs> and it was a misunderstanding of this, what is actually a beautiful book. So for me, um, and I think to be fair, I probably avoided it for many years because I thought it seems really difficult and scary, so I'm not even going to read it anymore. Um, and so I've found this series and this study simply beautiful because I think these are deep love letters. I think these seven letters are letters of absolute love with that message, I know you, I know your past, your present, and I know your future. You are fully known to me. So for me personally, it's been quite transformative. Um, and I think that that is my takeaway from it, that the Father's heart is seen so beautifully throughout these seven letters. And the message is, I am with you, I am over you, and I am around you. And I long to see you walk into the fullness of the new kingdom. So um, that is where I think, and I've, I've thought now we should move on into the rest of the study because I think there's so much more and there's so many layers to it. But I think that's what resonates for me per, uh, personally, the deep love that is, is communicated. And I also think that the, com, you know, the condemnations, if you like, that's a sign of deep love. We've bought into the idea that love and respect means you never say anything that isn't quite right, and that's not love. love. True love is caring deeply for the other and having honest conversations. So I think it's a beautiful example of love. That's what's sitting with me. Very good. Um, yeah, like, like Steph and Dave, I think, and probably everybody in this room, you, you've maybe had like a, a difficult or strange relationship with this book of Revelation, over the years, and I think I said in, in one of the talks that I gave that I, I'm no different. Um, I think it's one of those books that garners attention, no matter what. It kind of it, it demands your attention in a way. Um, but I, I've thoroughly enjoyed grappling with this book, and um, 
really being able to, to take some time and actually find the lenses through which to, to read this book has been so helpful, I think, for all of us as we've kind of grappled with it. Um, and um, the, there's, there's a, a number of resources that we've used that have been really helpful to do that, and there's been a, a number of kind of interpretive kind of keys that we've discovered as we've gone along that have been really helpful in that as well. Uh, I'll maybe talk about those in a wee minute, but um, yeah, so maybe talking about just the seven letters as we've been studying them over these seven weeks. Um, I think the thing that I've been struck by most of all is just their, their utter relevance to us today. You know, we, we kind of think in these days that we live in a world that's increasingly secular and is pretty becoming more and more toxic and challenging to the Christian faith in many ways. Uh, and yet, actually, you know, we still have an awful lot in the West here, a lot of religious freedom um, to practice our faith. There's no persecution overtly that we're experiencing, this sort of thing. Um, it's maybe becoming increasingly, you know, coming up to the boundaries of that in terms of different legislations and different political persuasions and so on that are beginning to have an effect on, on uh, the church and um, how we practice faith in, in this day and age. But... Um, when you think about it, these, these seven letters of these churches, embedded as they were in the Roman Empire, now, if we think our culture was toxic to faith, think about that culture that these churches found themselves in. And um, just the call throughout each of these letters to, to, remain, to remain faithful, to, to hold fast, as Dave put it um, a couple of weeks ago, um, I've really been resonating with that thought, just this, um, this thought of being faithful to Jesus, that Jesus is intimately involved with each expression of his church um, in those seven letters. And then conversely, if we extrapolate that, that out across 2,000 years of church history, Jesus is intimately involved. He, he's the one who's um, walking amongst the lampstands of his churches. He's the one who uh, has an angel for each of his churches, whatever that may mean. Um, he's speaking to his churches. The Spirit is speaking to his churches. Uh, and it's just the intimacy of it all really struck me and also the call to be faithful. No matter what the challenges are that a particular church in a particular time or age or city is facing, there's this call to remain faithful. The, the pressure will come. The, the, the antagonism will come. You know, the, 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 the pressure to, to not be faithful to Jesus, to be dragged this way or that by whatever cultural pressure is there. And yet there's this call to remain faithful, hold fast to Jesus is, the, is a, a real call throughout each of these letters that I was struck by. So I, I have really, really been blessed by that. Uh, and it's a thought that just keeps running through my mind. Um, we, we've, each of us have enjoyed digging into some resources, and I thought I'd just give a wee heads up on a couple. If anybody was kind of struck by this series and would love to run on and get into Revelation a wee bit, we, Dave's mentioned a couple of times about Brian Zahn's book, which is Sinners in the Hands of a Loving God. And there's about three or four chapters in that that provide a brilliant, simple framework that you can easily get into and can really help make sense of this very kind of can be a difficult book with lots of 
kind of violent imagery in it. Um, but he provides some of those keys to how to grapple with that and understand that with a Jesus-centered, cross-centered, self-sacrificing love lens. Um, so I'd recommend that. I'd also recommend Revelation to Everyone, uh, For Everyone by Tom Wright. Great little book, little uh, commentary-style book. Very light, very easy read. Um, that's been super um, there's this book, Reading Revelation Responsibly, which is by a guy called Michael Gorman. That's a little bit more heavyweight than you read one, Stephanie, by a guy called Richard Bauckham. Is that right? Bauckham. Similar idea. Big overview of the book of Revelation. If you wanted to go a bit deeper, maybe something like that would be useful. Or there's a great Eugene Peterson book that Dave read as well called so, Reverse so Thunder. Probably, well, Brian's um, Brian's yeah. NT right, yeah. The they would be, yes, they would be the Maybe easy Eugene ones Peterson to grapple in with. the middle, and then Bauckham and, and Gorman, Gorman at the yeah. end. Yeah. 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 But honestly, you you would be blessed by any of those books, I think. You know, maybe the heavier weight ones, if only if you're kind of really wanting to go for it. I think you've it, got right? a door wedged open with your one now. Yeah. You use yours as a doorstop now. It's so big and thick yeah. and so many footnotes. Doorstop, yeah. was it a... <laughs> um, I mentioned there was, there was one, there's one, there's a number of scriptures throughout the book of Revelation that I've been really meditating upon over the past number of months, maybe a couple of years, maybe. And one of them is, I think it's in Revelation 4, where John is showing this heavenly scene and there's, you know, the, the seven seals are being opened. If you're familiar with it, I may actually just grab a Bible and just um, read it briefly. Um, but John's, John is there and he's experiencing this heavenly scene opening up in front of him and there's this um, cry goes up, you know, who's worthy to open the final seal? And there's great mourning in heaven because they can't see anyone amongst all the elders, all the living creatures, everything else that's going on in this heavenly scene. There's no one there seemingly to open, open the scroll or break this final seal. Uh, but then um, it says in verse 11 of chapter 5, Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads and myriads, thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. But before that, it says, I've just read, not quite the right verse there. I'm kind of going to struggle to find it here. But they say, um, who is worthy to open the scroll? And this voice says, behold, the lion of Judah. And then John turns, and it's not a lion that he sees. It's this slain lamb sitting on the throne. So we've got these two pictures of who Jesus is. He is the lion of Judah. You know, he is the risen, risen one, the resurrected one who is ruling and reigning. But when John actually looks, he sees this lamb who was slain on the throne. And the, the whole, that, that picture is actually the key to understanding revelation. You know, Jesus rules by self-sacrificing love, self-sacrificial love. He, he, he overcame by giving himself, by his death on a cross. He is the lamb who was slain. Yes, he rules and reigns, but his, 
his mode, his method of ruling is through self-sacrificing love, through giving himself, through dying, through offering himself up. And so this, when we bear that kind of picture in mind, is, has been something that I found really helpful to try to grapple with some of the more difficult pictures in Wait, Revelation. Is, it's interesting because the book of Revelation has often been used, like that magic eight ball, to perpetuate the idea that Christ will come and slay his enemies, will come in power, will come in the same mode as the world likes to dominate and conquer, that Christ will come like the warrior on the horse with the sword, and yet what you're saying is that's not actually what Revelation Yeah, teaches. absolutely. This time he's coming back and he's, he's got a bee in his bonnet, he's going to smash some heads together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but actually... Which is probably why you grew up being very anxious and fearful of that Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. on the back of what you were saying there about if we then as the followers of Jesus, if his way of overcoming was self-sacrifice and then we are called to be like him, that is how our lives should look, that there's less of us uh, and more of him. And so our lives should be giving that message to the world, mm. not, a wor- not a message of fear or punishment or outcomes but actually of self-sacrificial love and I've been thinking about what does that look like for me in my life that my life would speak to that kind of love and what would that look like tomorrow when I walk into my daily work and all the rest of it and I guess that if we think of Jesus and that model that he overcame by self-sacrificial love then that is that should be the style of our hearts and our lives and that Mm. is the call on us yes yeah, I, I grew up the same, m- much the same in a, in, a, in a conservative setting which taught the technical term for that is dispensational theology, which um, it, we'll, we'll not get into that this morning, but essentially taught that sort of view that Jesus was going to come back and um, smash a few heads together, basically, or he's going he's to be very, you know, the, he's, he's, he's going to come and judge the world and it was going to be very violent and there was going to be an end battle called Armageddon and I remember going to a it was actually it's, it's nothing on this ministry it, it, the bookshop on the OM ships so the OM ships but there was a bookshop on those ships and they don't control obviously the, I don't know they, they control the books but I remember going to that bookshop on those ships that pulled in in Belfast as like a kid and I bought the entire series of Left Behind every single one for like a, for like a pound I, I probably still have, have them if, if anyone, it's a doorstop. Yeah, if anyone doesn't know about the it's a Left Behind series, you've escaped. But um, <laughs> weird evangelical world where, yeah, just this novel novelization of the dispensational theology in a novel form, and then there was a Nicholas was it Nicholas Cage starred in the movie. Yeah, God bless Nicholas Cage. But um, that's that's so so. I grew up with a very very individual. Understanding the faith as being placing my, my my trust in Christ, so that I'm going to be part of that little remnant of people that are going to remnant of people that are going to be like raptured away and escape the the hell that's coming to this earth as it all burns and ends. And so my faith essentially was like fire insurance. It was like a token to get out of that and get to heaven, place where you w- would escape. And it was, it's all very individualistic and me-focused, that story. 
so like I can only back up what these guys have said. You need to take another look at Revelation, like pick up one of these books, because all I've realized um, personally is as you actually just deconstruct all that unhelpful theology, it's shocking theology, guys. You've got to throw it out. Like the gospel is not just that individual small little story we've been told. It is just there's so much more to the evangelion, the good news of Jesus and his gospel than we even can begin to realize, I think, and I've learned that, that this is actually such a big, this is much more about the we than just my faith. It's about what, it's about the renewal of all things, as it says in Revelation 20, 21. He's making all things new and, uh, and that his way is not that way, which is the way of the world, the way of beastly empire, the way of violence, but it's the way of self-sacrificial love. And you begin to see the whole book is this unbelievably beautiful book rich full of all sorts of metaphor that comes alive when you when you have a good guide and it's not Tim LaHaye and Tim Left Behind series but it's maybe some of these guys that are holding your hand walking you through the book you begin to see oh I, I can see what what's going on here and so that's probably been my been my thing probably the one little insight I've had is that that scripture which says that that, that Christ will, will come again with a it describes Christ with burning eyes and coming back on a, on a horse and covered in blood and with a sword coming out of his mouth. And it's such a violent sounding imagery. Um, but you then realize, all oh, right, so he's already got blood on him. It's not that he's slain his enemies and been covered in their blood to win the day. He's actually coming already before any kind of quote, battle with blood already on him, which is because he was the slain lamb. And the sword that comes out of his mouth is a metaphor for the truth. It's not a, an image of violence. It's that Christ is coming to liberate through the power of his word, truth. He's coming to set people free. He's coming to set the captives free. He's coming to set people free from the lies of beastly empire and the enemy. Um, and so it just flips the whole thing up on its head again. It's another, I don't know if it's an interpretive lens, but it certainly is on the same line that that that, that piece you brought about the land and the lamb. Um, is there anything you guys wanted to, to add to that? Or? Um, you, you, we talked a lot. This is something that has sort of been in my mind the whole time that we've, we've been doing this series, that we've talked a lot about empire, mm. you know, and, and it was very obviously an empire that those seven churches found themselves in and i think you know for us today living as we do in the west where there's a lot of freedom essentially that it might sound a little bit foreign you know uh, this idea of empire we don't strictly find ourselves living under the shadow of an empire like our we have freedom to practice our faith you know, it's just something that I've been kind of thinking about myself. I don't necessarily have any clear answers about it. I think if you look like across the Atlantic at what's going on in the American scene at the minute, it can be probably a lot more uh, clearly applicable to what's going on there. Like, for instance, some of the... <laughs> You're talking about the, like, like this rise of nationalism? Nationalism, about? but yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. That... Um, some much more perhaps clear parallels can be drawn with 
you know, just the, the, the American machine. And it's much more closely allied to this idea of empire, perhaps, that we see in the book of Revelation than what we maybe experience here in the UK. Mm-hmm. Just, just, just a thought. But at the same time, I think for us to try to grapple with it is really important because I think it kind of, empire isn't just a single national empire like the roman empire in its day it was kind of like a global thing you know the known world Mm. was almost encompassed by this empire which was the roman empire but i think empire it can be applied to just kind of this world system can't it we can we can grow it out to that that it's this world system that we're all a part of that we're all plugged into that has all kinds of different principalities and powers that are the powers behind the powers, really. You know, if we could take a peek behind the veil, as it were, and see what was actually going on, you know, would maybe get a glimpse of something like what's happening in this book of Revelation and John's, John's, John's visions. You know, he, he gives us an insight into, into the thing behind the thing, really. You know, if we're looking at a spiritual reality behind this kind of physical world, you know, John gives us that that glimpse into what's going on. So just because we don't live under an actual physical empire, um, it doesn't mean that any of this stuff doesn't apply to us. It actually does because we're yeah. caught up in this this system, this world system, that um, it's not of the kingdom of God, you know? The kingdom of God stands in opposition to it. It's this alternative way of being human, of an alternative um, new humanity that God is birthing right in the midst of the world. Um, And I love, there was something that you mentioned, Dave, as we were preparing for this series that I don't think you picked up on it in any of your talks, but one of the, I think it might have been Brian Zahn talks about uh, the church being like a suburb of this new I've Jerusalem. Got, Have you got that got there? The quote, yeah. I'll maybe let you riff on that then. Cause yeah, that was... I'll read the quote. It's just as, Jesus, just as Jesus began his ministry at the wedding of Cana, now the ascended Christ presides over the wedding of heaven and earth. The tragic divorce between heaven and earth is now reconciled by the Lamb. Today, every local church is to be a suburb of the New Jerusalem. Revelation does not depict New Jerusalem as purely belonging to the future, but as a present reality in the process of becoming. And the baptized are called to participate right now in this newness from above. I I find that that image, a brilliant image, you know, a suburb of the New Jerusalem. It kind of, you know, it's, it's all tied together, you know, this theology of, of the kingdom being it's, it's now already and yet it's not yet, you know. There's this, there is this future hope of the new Jerusalem. Um, Christ will come again. He will rule and reign. Heaven and earth will be joined in the great hope of the, the Christian faith, you know. Heaven and earth will be joined. Uh, and that's the picture that we get at the end of the book of Revelation, which is wonderful. And we should definitely, I think, do a mm. second part of this series and kind of pick up some of these important things going on through the book. Um, but I love that picture of us being a suburb of the New Jerusalem. We get to experience the life of the New Jerusalem in the here and now, you know. Um, Speaking of that, though, that's a great <clears throat> link into the question I'd love to ask you, Stephanie, which is about what, what do you think it looks like for 
Redeemer to be a suburb of this new kingdom of God on earth. Like mm. as as you've looked at Revelation, as you've preached a few mm. of the letters, yeah. like like, what do you think we can learn from from it? And what's for um, us? I think when I've been thinking about that question this week, I, I sense that the call on us is to. Um, I think it's some heart work that that we hard heart 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 work. Um, heart. I think that in order to, to live as a suburb of Jesus mm. or of this new Jerusalem, it requires us to fully live in our identity as children of the King mm. and that um, we move away from our own needs and wants and desires and ego and into utter dependency I, I guess what I brought last week that has really resonated with me and that um, these deep love letters invite us into incredible profound intimacy with a good God um, who, who longs for more and I wrote down those two lines of that beautiful song you brought Megan you know you don't give your heart in pieces you don't hide yourself to tease us we are in deep relationship with one who is open mm. And, and loving and reminds us of where we might be going wrong because that's all part of love and the, the only response we should have or can have is to utterly open our hearts and live dependently mm -hmm. so I think that is what is sitting with me and um, I was chatting to some friends last night and I was saying I hold very loosely lots of ideas now about what church is what mm -hmm. I want to move into <coughs> more and more is to be an utter follower of the beautiful one and to be less thinking about programs and results and outcomes and think about what is my heart what is my heart mm. so that has been sitting with me this week a, a lot um and i think that that is the call on us that if we are really going to live as a suburb that's a beautiful idea of this new jerusalem we need to get our hearts open and soft and gentle and in line with the father i heard a great quote there just the other day which said something about instead of claiming to be christians and defending the name of christians why don't we just live the way of jesus and let everybody else decide whether we're christians or not you know instead of worrying about let's just live the way um i thought it was a beautiful yeah. quote often we're, we're good at the naming and we're not so good at the living yeah I think when we were praying in the pre-session, a, a wee song from I don't know when came to me and um, I offered it to the worship band, but it's just come back to me. Let my life be like a love song to your heart. It's probably from the 80s or the 90s, I don't know. But it's exactly what you're saying. Mm -hmm. if, I, if my life lived as a love letter or a love song to God, that would speak so much more than anything that would come out of my mouth far more uh, um, and I think that is the call that I have felt very challenged about and and want to move more into and, and I guess I offer it for us all yeah I, I totally totally resonate with that and I would um I would, I would maybe add to it that we you know we, we get to do this we get to do this together we get we get to live in the way of Christ. We get to live in a in a Jesus shaped community together. Um, 
we, we can't do it alone. You know, there is this communal aspect to, to walking in the way of Jesus, to being a Jesus follower. Um, we really can't do it alone. So look, I, 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 I would say the invitation for us this year is to really perhaps just get back to the, the bare basics of, of that, of doing, doing life together in love, walking in the way of Jesus together, you know, having our hearts softened together, you know, helping each other uh, walk together and fall in, fall in love with Jesus together, you know. Um, when we try to do it on our own, if, or if we, you know, yeah, it, it's, it's just going to be so much more difficult, you know. Mm-hmm. We're not, we, may not, we may not overcome, uh, as Jesus puts it in, in each of those letters, you know, there is a call for us to overcome you know, the, the pressures and the stresses and the challenges that uh, empire, that the world around us brings against you as a follower of Jesus, it's, it, it's toxic no matter where you find yourself, no matter what you're facing. And to walk it together, to be able to share the load, to be able to talk about the stuff that's bothering you or doesn't make sense or hurts at the time or whatever is so important. Um, so yeah, I would say that, that that would be something that's very much on, on my heart. And I, I, I challenge myself in it as well. And, and Jude and I are talking about this at home just to get back to the bare basics of spending time with each other in this community and opening our homes and, mm-hmm. and just sitting around the dinner table again and rediscovering that, I think, for us. Because I would say we, I wouldn't say we've necessarily been the best at that in the past uh, couple of years you know so we want to we want to get back to a, a revisiting of that ourselves so consider the the invitation open to the Hawthorne house for dinner for anybody <laughs> who wants to come. in the ne- in the next month we're going to be uh, doing a series uh, a, a preaching series on Sundays called intro we thought we'd just do the intro for everybody basically and talk about a little bit about what values this community holds um, some of the practical stuff around that too um uh, our story of how we came to be as a community here in Redeemer, um, how we spend our money. Um, there's some brilliant stuff to talk about around that and around uh, a thing called the Justice Fund and our, even our school uniforms last week. There's, some, uh, there's over a thousand pounds given to that, generosity. There's a whole bunch of different aspects of what we think makes up this community that we love to talk about in our intro series, you know, our values. Um, and so if you're new here, I want to just let you know that's happening this month. So please do come along um, on Sundays. And I'm hoping that we all actually do some, practice some, some Sunday lunch afterwards too for, for everybody. But if you're new particularly, you can hang around after next Sunday. And we're going to go for lunch in the city and maybe to get to, get to know people a little bit more too. If you're, a new, if you're new and you're coming into this uh, community, I thought I'd just mention that. I'm aware of time and I want to t- leave time for us to respond. I've got one quick question for Ryan, which is around... Um, the end of Revelation, um, there's this image which we didn't preach. We didn't preach the whole book as we know, but in, in the end, at the, it's 21, chapter 21, 22. There's an image of the of this new heaven, of the new Jerusalem, of the kingdom of God, heaven and earth are are joined. And I, I've asked Ryan to maybe share a little bit because he's a few insights about it. Would you share what you see there? Yeah. Um. I, like I genuinely think Revelation has 
become my favorite book of the Bible again from my 14-year-old obsession with it whenever I was younger. Uh, but yeah, th this picture at the end of the book of Revelation, you know, the new heavens and the new earth and the new Jerusalem, it's a, it's a wonderfully intriguing picture, I think. You know, there's this, Christ comes again, it's the marriage supper of the Lamb. Heaven and earth are finally and fully joined together. It says there will be no more temple because Christ is with his people. You know, the new Jerusalem has come down. It's this massive, well, the picture of it in the book is this enormous cube-shaped city that just speaks of its broadness and its wideness. And there's just this really intriguing picture right at the center of that. Jesus is quite clear to say, or the book of Revelation is quite clear to say that, that you know, those who are immoral, who are liars and all the rest of it, sorcerers and so on, will be outside of the city. But there's this beautiful picture of the gates of the city always being open. And this other picture of the garden city with the river running through it that flows from the, th the throne, um, that this river flows out of the city, out of the city gates and out into the beyond. So it's just this intriguing glimpse at the wideness of God's mercy, even at the end. I, I don't know what that means, but it, it gives me hope. It gives me hope that the wideness of God's mercy is perhaps wider than we even understand or know. Um, this beautiful picture of the city with the, 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 the leaves of the tree that are on the, the side of the river of life, therefore the healing of the nations, and then it says at the very end as well that the kings and the nations of the earth who throughout the book of Revelation have been warring basically against the Lamb, they have been in opposition to the Lamb. They have been in allegiance with the empire, with the, the beast and the false prophet and all the rest of it. They're seen coming into the city through the open gates, bringing glory and praise to to the one who they were in opposition to. It's just this absolutely intriguing glimpse at the wideness and the beauty of God's mercy. Um, in the end, you know, when he displays his goodness for all to see, um, I just think it's a, a beautiful picture, you yeah. know? And that's, this, we get to be a suburb of that Jerusalem, that river of life that flows from the throne is the river of life that we all get to experience now. We get to drink of the river of life now. We get to see that river of life go out into the, the dead and the dark and, you know, places in our city around us and in our lives. We get to see that river of life bring newness, bring life, bring the life of Jesus to them. So I just think it's a beautiful picture that I wanted to yeah, share. Yeah, it's a beautiful picture. Yeah. Um, uh, just the idea that 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 of those of the of the gates of the city never being shut is just utterly like it just undoes a lot of what I've, I don't even really theologically need to worry about it. I just know there's this there's the mercy of God and the grace of God that is even in the end continually always there. The doors are always open. The river's always flowing out. It's just it's it's the the reconciliation of all things is I think beyond anything that we can really fathom. And I think it maybe does challenge us, keeps us humble when we when we think we're the, we're the ones that are we're tempted to maybe think that we're the ones that are following Jesus faithfully when 
when actually, you know, we need, it, it's, 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 it's a challenge that we do keep, keep our eyes and hold fast to the one, the true one. Um, because those lines are completely blurred and God's so mercy blurred. rolls out. And we've been so eager to, maybe in Northern Ireland and in the type, the expression of Christianity that many of us have grown up in, we've been so eager to draw the line as to who's in and who's out. Yeah. Uh, and actually, you know, the wideness of God's mercy is probably going to be way beyond what yeah. we imagine. Certainly way beyond the who's in and who's out that many of us probably grew up in here, yeah. you know. I, I, think that's, I think that's good news. I think that's good news. I think our story is, is a story of good news. It's good news for us and for our city. I'd love to invite us to stand. Can you put our hands together for Ran and Steph? Um, I'd love to invite the band up as well. Um, uh, I'd love you to stand, join with me. We're going to just finish today um, by coming to the table. Um, the table behind me um, is uh, the table of Jesus. It's not Redeemer's table, it's the table of Jesus. He makes the guest list, as we say here. He is, invites us one and all to come, to break bread, to drink the wine, to, to practice and remember him and to experience his presence at this table. There's grace. So if you, if you, if you want to come today and you've never encountered Jesus before, you want to you meet him for the first time, come to the table break the bread, meet Christ here. He is, he is here, he is present. Um, I'm just gonna read over us. Hopefully there's, there may be a slide comes up, may not. Um, I, thought I'd re- I thought I would write a letter to, Bel- to, to Belfast, maybe to Redeemer, in the vein of, of the letters that we've been reading from Revelation. Um, so here's what I put together and hopefully that helps us as we approach the table. To so the church in Belfast, And to the angel of the church in Belfast, write the words of the true one who does not neglect his rule, but takes his seat and serves his people. I know you and the troubles you have faced. I know the upheaval and division you have lived through. Walls built to divide you, hearts hardened towards one another. Know that these walls will be torn down. The king of love will move hearts towards his way the way of love. Do not exclude where others seek to exclude. My face is in the stranger. My presence is among is with the poor among you. Behold, I am building a new future that flows from your heart of love and acceptance of the other. Those who cause division and trouble will see that I am your God and peace will reign. Resist the powers, resist the patterns of the powerful. Treasure the promises of God contend for unity among you gather at the table and hold fast to me i am with you always says jesus i am your light i am your hope i am your way the spirit is building this house its foundations are true and sure yet there are those who seek to topple it pulling at its foundations after all these years walking with you let them not take me from you they caused to bring you to spiritual ruin, drawing you away from that which, your, which caused your heart to burn with passion. But I will keep you. Look to me. Hold fast. On your heart I have tattooed my name. You are my beloved forever. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's come. Let's break bread. Let's drink the wine. Let's celebrate Christ. Please don't hesitate because time has, has gone. So let's do that together. Let's come and celebrate.